I want you to see that to remind you that time is probably the most precious commodity that we have. You agree with that? I mean, think about this. If, if you run out of money, you can make more money, right? You can always make more. Some of us prove this theory month after month after month. We run out of money, and then we make more, and we may not make enough, but we at least make some more, right? If you run out of friends, you can, you can eventually make new friends, most of us anyway. Um, you can lose your house, you can get another house. But I've never found anybody who could make more time. How many of you can redo yesterday? I mean, maybe that's why we like all of these movies with time travel, you know, because we, we dream about going back, but you can't do that, can you? Well, years ago, Job was, um, he's, he's actually one of the oldest characters or one of the oldest Bible, uh, books in the Bible that we, we read. He had sat through a whole bunch of stuff in his life. He'd sat through three friends coming and telling him how he was a sinner he needed to repent. And Job, in chapter 14, said these wise words to us, verse 5. Our time is limited. Now, he's been responding to his friends, and he's been basically saying, I'm innocent um, before God. I don't know why this is happening to me. All three friends say, no, you're a sinner. At the end, we know that God proved Job was right. But Job is sitting here. He's defending himself to friends who are telling him what what a sinner he is. And he says, our time is limited. You have given us only, he's talking to God, you've given us only so many months to live and set limits we cannot go beyond. So the Bible says there is a limit to your time. When you get to the end of your time, that's it. You're done. Uh, Janie and I were sitting with my brother and sister-in-law on Thursday. We were eating, uh, had to sign some papers for um, the estate and all of this stuff. And we just got to talking about mom and dad and sis and how I'm not, I cannot be angry with God because I believe when God was finished with them on the earth, I believe he took them. In, in Revelation, it talks about the two witnesses that, that come and, and it says, when their days were done, the Lord removed them. And so I believe that if, if the psalmist is correct, he said, our days are written before we're ever born. God knows the last day. So God was not taken by surprise when my parents and my sister were taken in that car wreck. So I can't be upset with him. There are limits, and wise people are the ones who begin to realize that we have limits to our time. And, and nobody ever says, um, you know, at the end of their life, they're never sitting there going, oh, I wish I'd watch more TV right? That's what we spend most of our time doing. I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Everybody says, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. But it's not just at death that we whine about time. We whine about time all the time. Have you ever walked down the aisle at Walmart and you see an old friend, somebody you hadn't seen in years? We've, we've lived in Palestine 19 years now, so we've got lots of friends all over the place. We'll see one that we haven't seen in years, and this semi-adult will be standing next to them. And you kind of recognize them, and you go, is that little Timmy? He's huge. And you go, where did the time go? Oh my goodness. You know what you're really saying? Where'd my life go? Because in the blink of an eye, my life is gone and I can't relive it. I was looking through some pictures um, of my kids and, and here's one of Caleb and me. This is at Yellowstone National Park. We were on a mission trip. Caleb was three years old. And I look at that and I go, where'd he go? He's a man. Here's one of of all three of my kids um, when they were little. I look at my daughters and my son and I say, where did the time go? You know what I'm really asking? Where'd my life go? Because see, I've been married 22 years. I got married when I was 26. I don't even remember my 20s. That was so long ago. My 30s, do you realize I'm in the third month of my 49th year? So where the heck did my 40s go? Right? 
My life is gone. And you're older than me, Jeff, so you just go right ahead and, and amen over there. I know. Next year, my brother said this to me, and it's kind of funny because my brother's 14 years older than me. He goes, you about to turn 15? I said, yep. He goes, dang. Because that means he's about to turn 65. Woo, getting on up there, sonny. <laughs> How many of you have a watch or some type of time device with you today? Because I, I use my phone. I used to never go anywhere without a, a watch and then started getting this big old knot and it looked like an acorn right underneath there. It's really not something you want to talk about at, at, at parties, you know. So I, I quit wearing a watch, but I use this for, for a time. I'm, I'm willing to bet I could ask any of you in here what time it was and you'd know within, within a few minutes, right? But I actually have a deeper, more important question to ask you today. Not what time it is. What are you doing with your time? Because you're spending your life little by little. And my question is, are you spending it wisely? And, you know, I just want to ask a question. And this isn't rhetorical, so you can answer this. Is it wise to spend time in church every week? Yes, we believe so. Is it wise for some of the people, some of these chairs are empty because there are adults in the back taking care of your children so that you don't have to, right? I used to have to wrestle that little three-year-old in, in church and, and we played a lot of tic-tac-toe, drew all kinds of pictures. And people said, Doug's not being very spiritual. I'm going, I'm being as spiritual as I can be with a three-year-old in the service so that you all can be spiritual, right? Is it, is it wise for people to give up their time back there to love on your children and te- teach them about Jesus? I believe so. Is it wise for people to spend a couple of hours a week in small group Bible study? Not in here. In somebody's home. Is that wise? It is if we are spending time on the things that are important to God. And God says, your time is very valuable. You need to pay attention because it's going to be gone. Before you know it, you're going to be standing before a casket. And my prayer is that you don't have any regrets. That's what I told the congregation in Borger. I said, I have no regrets standing here before my mom and my dad and my sister because, and I just started listing all the things. Been on 10 different vacations with my parents. Six different cruises. I have all kinds of memories. I talk to them every week. Went to see them three or four times a year. Talked to my sister when she was griping about my parents and and trying to talk her off a ledge, you know, that type of thing. Um, I don't have any regrets. and, And if you will be wise, you won't have any either. I want you to see what Moses had to say. The oldest psalm that we have is Psalm 90, and Moses is talking here, verse 12, here's what he says. Teach us how short our lives really are, so that we may be what? Wise. Anybody here need some wisdom? I'm going to show you today how you can gain God's wisdom, not just any wisdom. You don't need earthly, worldly wisdom. You need God's wisdom. I'm going to show you how to do that today. And the Bible says recognizing that our time is short is the first step towards wisdom. So if you want to know how to be wise, pay attention. i got five statements on your listening guide that we're going to run through real quickly. Here's the first one that have to, has to do with your time. There's a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. A cumulative value, that means it adds up over time. Best example is exercise. If you invest three or four hours a week over the next six months in exercise, will, will anybody besides you notice? You do it for six months, everybody notices. You see it. You see people get, you know, in fit and whatever, lose weight, and, and that's what you say. You've lost so much weight. How'd you do it? Well, 
it just, I started this process. And I spent a little bit of time over a long period of time doing something that mattered, and my body has reacted to that. And it goes for most activities. The musicians up here, they didn't just walk up here and start playing. They've spent a lot of time. I remember when Caleb taught himself how to play drums. The dude would play three or four hours a day. He would come out and he'd have blisters on his hands. And, you know, back then we only had the electronic drums. So praise God, all we ever heard was click, 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 click. Because now he has an acoustic set at home. Dude, I'm walking through. I'm not kidding. The other day I'm walking through the house and he's practicing because he's in this Christian band now and they're going to do some stuff. I'm walking through the house. I forget homeboy is in there. And see, you know, in the band up here, a lot of times we'll, he'll count it off. Click. Click, 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 or you'll hit the symbols or whatever before you start the song. I had just been on the phone in the driveway. I come walking through the house, forgot he was in there, and he has, he has his headphones on, and so I can't hear the music start, and all of a sudden I hear, boom, and I kid you not, I jumped. I thought I'd been shot, and, and I'm doing this in my own house, in my living room, and then I went, sorry, sucker, got acoustic drums. And I went in there and opened up the door, and he's like, what? And I said, dude, you would have been laughing. I said, you scared me so bad. He's done it to Janie, too. But he did. He learned how to be a good drummer practicing over and over anything worthwhile, whether that's if you want to play golf, if you think that's worthwhile. I don't know. Uh, I used to, but then I had kids and, and, and no time and no money, so golf's not, not in my schedule. But anything you want to do. Um, athletics, musician, anything you want to be good at, you spend a little bit of time on a consistent basis over a long period of time. Before you know it, you become good. But let me also say this. There's very little value in any single segment of time. You understand what I'm saying? What will it hurt if I miss one workout? Will anybody notice? Maybe people that I work out with, but, but probably not. You're not going to see the, the effect if I miss one workout. What will, it happen if, what will happen if one time I go and have a meal that's not on my diet? Will anybody notice? Probably not, unless you're on a cruise ship and they just keep feeding you. The real value of exercising or dieting comes in the cumulative effect. Not just one deposit of time, but multiple deposits of time over a long period of time. So consistency is the key. Consistency is, is, um, helps the investment grow over time. So apply this idea to your family. Would it be wise for you to spend three, four, or five nights a week having supper with your family around the table? If you did that for a year, would you notice any benefit from that? Yes. Now, the other side of that is, what if you, if you miss one of those times over the course of the year? Is anybody going to notice that? No, probably not. But be very careful because our habits are what define us. Now, the other side of that is, what if we have family meal one time in a year? Is, what's the benefit going to be of that? Is everybody going to see such a close family because on December 22nd, 2013, you have one meal with your family? Does that bring your family closer together? No, so it's the, the effect is not in one installment of time, it's in multiple installments of time over a long period of time. What is the value of going to church once a year? Better than nothing, but not, not a lot. Uh, what if you only ate one meal a year? <laughs> You'd be a stick, and then you'll blow away when you die, right? What if you ate one meal a month? That'd be enough? A lot of people think it is when it comes to church. And, and see, I, I guess I'm biased because this is my job, but I actually believe this stuff. I believe that what we're doing here matters more than anything else on the planet. 
And I believe that if you do not connect with your Heavenly Father on a regular basis, there's absolutely no way you can have His peace, His wisdom, His discernment. Because He doesn't give that to people who ignore Him. He gives that to people who worship Him. We sat up here and prayed this morning, I prayed over our band, that this is the most important thing that we could be doing right now, is leading people to worship. Because one of the times when Jesus was tempted, He told Satan, worship God and serve Him only, and do it in that order. A lot of people try to serve God without ever worshiping, and you can tell because there's no joy. There's no real benefit from, from their connection with God. But the people who get it right and they worship God wholeheartedly, they have a different type of ministry. They love you because God loves you. You have value because your Heavenly Father says you have value. But let's, let's just be honest. If we, if we miss one church service, is the church going to close down? Probably not. And, and I got to tell you, Janie and I, we just are regulars at church. We just, that's part of our routine because we believe it matters. We regularly spend time with other people in small groups um, because we believe, we, we look back. And, and I remember Kelly, I remember exactly what she was talking about. We were sitting at Angela Lightfoot's house and, and she, she couldn't share. And I didn't know why at the time. And she was thinking, why was, when was the time she'd been closest to God? When we're sitting around talking, eating, fellowshipping, reading God's word, and praying together, our lives get connected. And some of you are desperately lonely. Even in a group like this, you're lonely. You need to be connected to the people of God because that's who is going to be around you in a tragedy. I mean, I got family now. My family went from six immediate family members to three in the blink of an eye. I've got a brother in Baytown and a brother in Austin, and, and they love me, but I'm just going to tell you something. Something bad happens in my family. This is my family, and you will be there so much sooner than my brothers or my nieces, my nephews. That's the way God designed the family, the body of Christ, but some of you are not getting the benefit because you're, you're afraid to get in a small group. You're afraid of what somebody might think of you. You're afraid to share, and, and, and that's the enemy who's got you afraid. Because I'm just going to tell you, when you're sitting around and you, you open up, nobody, nobody's going to go, <gasps> you did what? I'm telling you, in my group, I don't care what it is you say. Somebody's going to go, yep, been there and done that. I don't care what it is. We've got a messed up group, and I'm one of them. I was telling my brother and sister-in-law some of the things I've done. They're like, <sighs> I was messed up, but God has redeemed me. So the whole thing is consistent amounts of time in the right things will pay benefits, okay? Second thing, there are rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting single amounts, single deposits of time in any area. So we talked about this. Miss dinner with family, not a big deal. Um, sleep in one Sunday morning, church is going to keep its doors open, but you got to watch out because it becomes a habit. Number three, neglect also has a cumulative effect. If you ignore your yard for a year, what happens? <laughs> you call me. That happened to me. I had, to, I had a commercial account, and, and uh, he, he didn't call for the longest time. When he called, dude, it was up to here. And I was like, oh, Jesus, get me through this because my attitude's not very good. You neglect something, it shows, right? Um, what if you were to, to neglect your car for a year? Does it magically run better next year? than it does this year. If you don't put oil in, if you don't, you know, change the oil and air up the tires and check things occasionally, what happens? What happens if you run out of water? I don't know. I've had that happen. Number four, 
There is no cumulative value to the urgent things that we allow to interfere with the most important things in our lives. Janie and I joined the Y back in January 2007. And I remember the whole little talk they gave us. They walked us around. We'd already been members before, but we dropped out. and We came back and joined again. And they said, um, the average person makes it till, what does I put it down here? Makes it to March before they quit. So they have these new goals, you know, and they start paying. They get on the monthly plan. They make it to March. Well, Janie and I, about May, we're feeling good about ourselves. We made it to May. We're destroying these suckers. We're committed. And then all of a sudden, summer happened and stuff happened. And before I knew it, it was five months and I hadn't been to the gym. And, and you know, you punch places and it's like jello. And I'm like, whoa, where'd that happen? You see, see weird bulges in the mirror that you don't want anybody else to see, you know, that type of thing. And I went, what happened? And I started thinking back to the value of the things I did instead of going to the gym. You know how much value there was in the things I did instead of going to the gym? You know what, what added to my life? Nothing. I can't even remember those things. I think I went out to the deer lease just to look at it one time. I think maybe I went fishing one time. I think maybe I watched a lot of TV And I have no idea what I watch, but the cumulative value of the things I let get in way of the important things is zero, nothing. What's the cumulative value of what a freshman in college does instead of studying? No thing. What is the cumulative value of all the things you did instead of having having a family supper? Nothing. And so we're not just wasting our time, we're wasting our lives. Add everything up that you did instead of the really important things, and you get no value added to your life. And, and we are around people, not just in our church, but we're around people, we, we share because we know these folks, that make unwise decisions. And people do it all the time. Do you know how you make wise decisions? You spend a little bit of time with God every day on a consistent basis, and at the end of that time... God promises you wisdom. In fact, the Bible says you can have the mind of Christ. Wouldn't you love to have that mind before you make a decision? Man, nobody ever told me that. Well, God did. God said, spend a little bit of time with me over a long period of time. And he says, I will transform you. And actually, the Bible says, as you gaze into his face, he transforms you to look like Christ. The more I look at him, the more I look like Christ. The less I look at him, the less I look like Christ. And the less I have the mind of Christ. So I make stupid decisions when I'm not spending time with God. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 10. Wisdom begins with respect for the Lord, and understanding begins with knowing the Holy One. Now, not only does wisdom begin with the Lord, but check out this next verse, Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, understanding, or advice that can succeed against the Lord. So what do wise people do? Ignore God or spend consistent amounts of time? And I'm not talking days and days. You spend 10, 15 minutes a day with the Lord at the end of the week, you will be wiser than you started the week. You do it for a year, you're going to be wiser next year than you were this year. That's the way it works. But see, people make decisions without consulting God, and here's what I hear over and over. Why did God... Do this to me. Simple answer, he didn't. You ignored him. You made the decision. You're suffering the consequences because God's not obligated to bail you out of your stupid decisions. In fact, a loving heavenly father will many times allow you to suffer the consequences so maybe next time you'll be a little bit smarter. And then really wise people, you've heard me say this before, look around and, and they say, they did that and that's stupid. 
I don't want to do that. And they learn from other people. That's, that's true wisdom. Your time can't be saved, but it can be spent wisely. And there's just this big, tremendous value, not only of spending time with God on a weekly basis, but spending time with other Christians whom you um, trust and who you admire their walk with Christ. We just started something called Financial Peace University. First time we did this was six years ago, and there were about 50 of us that went through that. And, And we've offered it at least once a year, every year since then. And there's some people that are coming on Thursday nights, and they're learning how to do uh, money God's way. Dave Ramsey's um, slogan for financial peace and for his whole uh, organization is, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt-free? Kind of this cool thing. Well, here's what I hear every time we have Financial Peace University. I can't afford it because it's 90 bucks for the little thing. And if you're a single mom, it's 45 bucks. All the time people say, I can't afford it. What you're really saying when you say you can't afford it is, is it's not important enough for me to do because if your only mode of transportation were to break down and it were to cost 90 bucks or 45 I'm willing to bet you would find a way to pay for that but when it comes to money you say well that's my money if you don't understand who God is or even your next breath is not yours you just don't want to do things God's way and so don't get mad at me for speaking the truth I'm just I'm just telling you that we do not put the right value in the right things, and then we get mad at God when bad stuff happens. That just doesn't make sense to me. Number five, in the critical area of life, you cannot make up for lost time. In college, I used to wait until the last... I would do this. I would get my calendar, and I would see my little syllabus, and I would see when a paper was due, and I would leave Friday till Monday when the paper was due open, and I would cram like crazy. I mean, I'm, back then, you know, there was coffee and no-dos. I'm popping no-dos, you know, and I'm wired and, and writing, you know, and then you had to type. You didn't have computers and word processors, and so you had to type. And I remember sticking the little thing in there, and if you were smart, you had the little piece of paper that showed you, you know, if you had a, uh, we had to do footnotes. They wouldn't let us do end notes back in those days, stupid. So anyway, you would have a little piece of a paper that have a line across it and say, don't type below the this line, if you had, you know, so you'd have turned upside down, stick it in there, go, okay, I got to have two lines here. And I would be insane by Monday morning. And I would turn in just a ratty piece of trash, but I didn't care, you know, here, take it. And, uh, and I would do, okay, I'd get a B or something like that. But I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So when I got into seminary and oh my goodness, I thought I had written papers until I got into seminary. There's one class. It was Tuesday, Thursday, every class period you had a paper due three to five page paper. And I thought, I can't do this. And so I got into this habit of of getting ahead and staying ahead. And now that I look back, you know what I do every week? I I write a five to seven page paper for a sermon. And I look back, and and those four years that I was at seminary trained me for what I'm doing now, and I'm so grateful to God. So my kids are like, I got to write a thousand word paper. I say, I write a 3,000 word every week. Talk to me. Come on, wine for me. You know? I learned that you can't make up for lost time, and that's what people are trying to do. You can I don't care how romantic the weekend is. If you neglect your family for a year, your wife for a year or two, you, Hollywood has this, this unbelievable thing where, you know, you don't speak to anybody for 20 years and you have one date and everything's great and they live happily ever after. It doesn't happen that way in the real life world. If you neglect your family, one weekend doesn't make up for that. And, and 
I hear dads and, and I hear couples all the time saying, we didn't make our relationship a priority. We didn't make our family a priority. And it pay, you will pay for that over the long, time, long term. Now, you can start now and you can do better, but that's an investment in the future. You cannot invest in the past. So I want to challenge you to remember that you've got a limit. And, and whatever that limit of time is, you're not going to go past it. And your loving God has given us these words from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Your heavenly Father says, be very careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Use every chance you have for doing good because these are evil times. So do not be foolish, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Use your time wisely literally means redeem every minute that you have. Make sure you're investing in, in, in something worthwhile. And um, a lot of you, quite honestly, when you were making the worst decisions of your life, you didn't have a significant person in your life making small investments of time on a regular basis to help you. And if we're going to be gut-level honest today, many of you are making the same mistakes with your children that your parents did with you. And you just got to say, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to look at my schedule, and I'm going to determine the really important things. And those are going to be at the top of my list. I'm not going to give them the leftovers. Because, you know, I'm a leftover guy. I like leftovers for a while. And then I just get sick of them, right? Your families are getting the leftovers. We need to put them at the top of our list. Bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to think about some things you're doing that, that aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. And would you make a commitment to stop doing things that aren't necessary and start doing things that are? I want you to spend just a moment in prayer and ask God. I've got this on your listening guide, but, but I'll just say it out loud. And you ask God, what do you need to do physically that you've been neglecting? What do you need to do relationally that you've been neglecting? What have you been doing spiritually? What have you been neglecting that you need to be doing? And then financially, what have you been neglecting that God wants you to do? Ask him those questions and then tell him what you intend to do about that. Father, I thank you for my church family. I thank you that the, that the people here want to hear from you. They're not interested in, in man's opinion, but they want to know what you have to say. And I thank you that they want to hear the truth. And God, I, I just believe the reason they're here is because not only do they want to hear truth, they want to do truth and build their lives, their lives on truth. So we're just going to claim right now Jesus Christ, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We want to build our lives on you because everything else is lies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.